raindrop reflecting on the water as the sun shuts her eyes don't know why you're uncovered watch the time rolling with the moonlight everything is silent on this wheezy bed of night listening to Missing Magnolias. We are a local Louisiana true crime podcast. If you're new to the show, we share stories of the murdered or missing, but certainly not forgotten. I'm Scarlett, your host. With us is my co-host, who you all know, Michelle Genus, criminologist and professor, who I'm also now dubbing the, the queen of the late night Reddit threads. <laughs> Michelle finds great content for us to air on these late night trips down the internet rabbit hole, so to speak. We're also super thrilled to have with us a guest, Donna Weibel, thanks for joining us, Donna. Well, I'm glad to be here. Thank you. We first learned the story of Donna's mother through our local news, but since this case has been unfolding, the LA Times did a feature, New York Times also did a feature, and now you have all kinds of media reaching out to you. I can imagine that's super overwhelming, so thank you again for taking the time to speak with us. You're welcome. Donna's mother's murder was a 51-year-old cold case which has been solved through forensic genealogy. This has been a game changer for detectives in solving cold cases. Genealogists match crime scene DNA to relatives of unknown offenders through public DNA databases. You probably remember the Golden State Killer. Oddly enough, investigators at one time thought Donna's mother could be a victim of the Golden State Killer, who was, I think, before the Golden State Killer, he was dubbed the East Area Rapist, just because the crime did happen in California and it was around the same decade. Donna's mother, Mary Scott, went by the nickname Lucky for her sunny disposition. She was the mother of two, of Donna and her older sister, Christine, who is sadly no longer with us. She was living in San Diego where she worked as a go-go dancer and was found in November 20th, 1969, where she was murdered in her apartment. She had been strangled and raped. She was a petite woman, but we know put up a fight. The case went cold for many years, but plenty of DNA was left at the scene. With the aid of forensic genealogy, San Diego police were led to the arrest of 75-year-old John Sipos. Sipos was living in Pennsylvania. He has recently waived his extradition hearing and has since been flown to San Diego where he awaits pending trial. This is an ongoing investigation. And I hope that Donna will have time to come back on and update us with any breaks in your mother's case. Yes, uh, I'm glad to update you. Yeah, that would be great. And I, I know that you're going to be super busy and we're super thankful for your time. And I know that this is an ongoing investigation, so we're going to kind of pivot our attention elsewhere. This is just a really amazing story on two points. One, what DNA is able to do for these families who need answers and need closure. Two, it's your very personal story. You lost your mother so early on in your life. And in a way that solving her murder has kind of helped you discover who your mother was as a person. Right. In what ways has your mother's unsolved homicide shaped your life? What types of questions have lingered over the years for you? Well, it's not until I was about 11, maybe 10, my sister and I found out my mom was murdered. And ever since then, it has been like ups and downs, thinking they'll never find the murderer. Actually, that's what I thought all my life. In 1998, when the case was reopened, I got a call from the San Diego cold case homicide and they let me know that there was so much DNA on her 
that her case was reopened out of 20 files picked she was one of them that was picked because she had so much dna in the room and on her body and where she was back then 1998 genealogy really wasn't in the cold case homicides books it was just getting updated more and more every year as the years would pass and now it's through dna genealogy over the years i've always wondered what it would be like if she wouldn't have been murdered my mom's side of the family is from San Diego, and my dad's side of the family is from Louisiana. I went to San Diego in 1993 for the first time to meet my grandparents and all of my cousins. Wow. It was very, very overwhelming. It was like strangers. I just didn't know how to feel, how to handle any of it. It was crying and happiness, and I went to my mom's grave. It's just... All my life, it's been the question, big question. What if she was here? What if she would have raised me? What kind of things in my life would have been different? It's always a wonder, and it'll always be a wonder. I had a question about um, your experience with law enforcement. Did they keep you in touch with everything, or did you have to call them, or or how did that function that, that you stayed in the loop? They never kept in touch because... All they had was the DNA, which was found in her apartment. They didn't pursue it until forensics got more advanced and genealogy came in the picture. Ancestry.com, those sites, that's what really helped solve her case. And it's just unbelievable that it's 51-year-old case. And I'm just totally in shock right now. This guy's in so much denial. I just can't get over it because all his DNA was everywhere. It was all over her. It was ridiculous. But he's 74, I think, or 75. I'm not quite sure. He's definitely in denial. And then usually when people that are picked up for murder and what have you, and they deny it, it's almost like admitting guilt because he even made the comment, which really hurt my feelings. He said, quote, unquote, I would not have associated myself with someone like that, which really, excuse me, pissed me off royally. He's guilty and he's got his day coming in court. Of course, COVID has really, really paused everything for everyone in this entire world. Even the laws, law enforcement, it has really paused a lot of stuff that needed to be done. That's how I feel about it. And like I said, the police have always been in touch since 1998. Before that, no, they were never in touch with me or my sister. My sister's the one that started this. She hired an investigator in 1989 to find out where our parents were, where my grandparents were. And the investigator found everything. It's so sad because she got killed in a car wreck December 20th of 89, and she was pursuing this. I didn't want to have anything to do with this at all. My grandma raised me where you just leave it alone. She always protected us because she said they would come and do the same thing to my sister and I. My grandma had letters that were sent to her, and my grandma threw them away. She just kept protecting us. And now I know why and I understand why. I was never mad at her about that, but the way she raised me, it was so strict that I didn't even pursue this. And when my sister did pursue this and did find answers, I didn't want to have nothing to do with it then either in 1989. But because she got killed and a couple of years passed by, I just pursued it. I wanted to do it for her because she was really interested in, in finding out everything. My sister was like a replica of my mother. She was real tiny. She was like 5'2", real petite, strawberry blonde hair. A lot of people said she looked just like my mom, which made me feel good too, because I got to see at least part of what my mother looked like. My sister and I were pretty close. I mean, of course, when we were little, we'd fight all the time, <laughs> which I guess is normal. 
We were only about 16 months apart. We were two little girls being raised by our grandparents. My grandmother dressed us like twins every day. We hated it, but <laughs> everybody thought we were twins. Anyway, yeah, it's a, it's a big story and it's pretty overwhelming right now. We all love true crime and everybody's interested in these kinds of stories, but we always focus on the offenders and understanding them and solving those cases. Rarely do we spend time talking to or about the families, all of those secondary victims. Yeah, I mean, I'm a victim. I mean, I wasn't even realizing that because I have an assigned caseworker to me now from San Diego. And it's so ironic you talking about the crime shows. I was watching court TV, I don't know, I guess two months ago. Mm -hmm. And I see John Sippos running across the screen, his name. I was so shocked. I knew he was caught and in jail. To see that running across the screen of a nationwide TV station, I didn't even know how to act. I mean, I just saw it and I just got up and screamed like, oh, my God, that's him. That's the murderer. And I'm seeing this from my living room on the TV and can't describe the feeling I had of hatred and anger. And I don't know. It's almost like he's getting publicity. You know what I mean? I was so mad. Yeah. Where's your mother's story? I want her story mm -hmm. out there. Now, my mother does have a sister that's still alive. They were six, three boys and three girls. And I stay in touch with her. You mentioned that you've already been out to San Diego and I think you're gonna have future trips. Are you planning on meeting people that knew your mother when she was alive? Yes, there is one lady that I really, really want to meet. She was her best friend and she's the one that found her body. She's mm -hmm. still alive and it's really brought up a lot of bad memories for her. She's 74 years old. She's a Christian. She's real into her prayer and God now. I want to meet her. And I did ask detectives to please check with her and see if she'd want to meet me. I'm really waiting on that. I want to know what my mother was like. They said every room she walked in, she was smiling. And they'd always call her happy-go-lucky. She never judged no one. And my sister that got killed was the same way. She never judged anyone. My sister never saw bad in not one person. They were both so much alike. Anyway, it's moving along. I don't have patience hardly anymore because I don't want him to die. I want that man to live. I want him to go to trial. I want him to see me. I want, you know, a lot of people are telling me, oh, you finally have closure. No, I don't have closure. My closure is going to, when I look that man in the eyes, that's my closure. It's hard for people to understand because they're not in the same place as I am or in my shoes. That's going to be my closure. I want to see him. Of what I understand, he's huge. And I did see him on a Zoom meeting through the DA's office when he pled not guilty. There's another trial coming up February 4th. I'll let y'all know that. I think it's the preliminary. And then we'll try to go to trial, which could be up to a year. But I'm hoping they rush it because of the COVID. I mean, it's just affected so many people. And I really, I want him to see, I want him to suffer. I want him to go through something. I do not believe in the death penalty. I never have. If he goes to prison, fine. I know he'll die in prison. But as for the death penalty, no, I don't believe in that. It's not someone's right to take someone else's life. That's just my thoughts. Anyway, I saw him on the Zoom meeting and he's huge. This man's like six foot four. His hands are huge, like the size of my head. This man's big. He was in the Navy for like six years. That's another part I don't get is because of the fact he got out the Navy June of 1969. He murdered my mom November 1969. What was he doing between June and November in San Diego? 
He lived two miles from her apartment. I don't understand if they knew each other. No one knows that yet. They're still investigating everything. I feel as though, according to different readings I've read, once you have a feel for killing, you'll kill again. They don't know if he's killed again because the DNA they have in CODIS right now is all his DNA. They have the new thing, which is the genetic genealogy. That's the touch DNA that is so high tech. You can just touch something. They can get a skin cell, not even a fingerprint. It'll leave a skin cell and they can go from there with DNA. If he's killed other victims and there's bodies, they didn't find the bodies. I think he's looked over his shoulder for 51 years. But I understand through one of the police officers, they said he's very arrogant cocky. He was complaining because the eggs are cold. Oh, really? Whoopee. This man has no remorse. His wife does remember when he killed my mother, he was married at the time to someone else in San Diego. Then he married the lady he's married to now, three years later, and they moved to Pennsylvania. He's done several different jobs. Administrator at a hospital. I mean, he's a very smart man. He's lived in Pennsylvania for the past 16 years, I think, of what I'm gathering. When he got arrested, she moved. She sold the house. She moved back to her home state. That just blows my mind. They did question her. They kind of didn't think she had anything to do with it, but I kind of get a feeling that maybe she knew about it. She just wasn't there when it happened or anything, but I kind of think her husband probably told her about it or something. That's just my view. But um, it's just a lot to deal with. There's so much on the platter. I mean, it... Wow. Each bit of information you get, it seems like there's 15 more questions. I feel like now it's even harder because they caught him and I have so much I want to know. I'm not able to go to California because of COVID right now. They were going to fly me in. I wanted to be there for his arrest. I'm definitely going to be there for the trial. I wanted to be there for the preliminary on February 4th, which I might still be able to go. I wish I was there right now. I just want to know every second of what he's doing. In fact, I just sent an email to the DA. He stays in touch with me, and I just question him and ask, is he sick? I want to know. I want to know anything, if he's got an ailment or what, because he still walks around and all that. The day they arrested him, he was walking out of his garage at the state troopers Pennsylvania were walking up to him, and it was he was total shock. He was in total shock, they told me, but they could tell like he knew. You can't look over your shoulder anymore. We're here. It's so ironic because when he was living in Pennsylvania, the neighbors next door to them, they were like younger than them, of course. He called the police on the neighbors every day. You stepping in my yard. Your music's too loud. And the neighbors, they were going to put their house for sale to get away from this dude. Oh, my God, look, they just arrested him. Y'all can stay and live there now. I said, they missed out a hell of a party when they arrested this man. He was just very rude. I just think he's full of anger and he's just not right. I think he lived all his life with what he did to my mother. And I think it really stayed on his conscience. A couple of policemen from the cold case told me that, no, he has no remorse. He's just arrogant. No remorse at all. All he's worrying about is himself. He waived his rights. He was okay with them extraditing. He knew he was caught. It's just going to take so long for this to move on. I try not to think about it because it's been a while now since I talked to the detectives. We do email and text. When you're in my shoes, you want to know every detail. You want to know what is happening in that jail. They have him in protective custody so he won't get COVID. He basically walks around and he looks normal. 
And one thing I have to say is he is completely worried about being in the media. When I was with the DA and a couple of others in our Zoom meeting for his arraignment, at the end, he asked his lawyer, can this please not be in the media? The DA said right away, no, this is wide open and this is going to be in the media. It's their first live arrest for a 51-year-old case. They caught him. He's alive. They overwhelmed with just that, let alone it's been 51 years. For a live arrest, it's big. Absolutely. It's huge. And then genetic genealogy today is such a new technology that is just totally changing the game on these cold investigations. Right. I don't think any family in this world should ever give up if they lost a loved one to murder or if they lost a loved one anyway. Don't give up because the way forensics are now, they're going to find you. It took a long time. I found out in April that they found them, which was really hush-hush. I could tell you it now. But it was in April when I found out. I got a call and I almost fell down when they said, Donna, we found them. I can't describe what I felt. I cried. I laughed. I cried. So many mixed feelings. I knew they were going to get him. And after I got the call in April, I had to wait a long time before they got him. And they got him in October. They told me it probably wouldn't even be till the next year. The way they found him, they had a stakeout at his house for quite a while. And what they did was just watched him unload groceries from the car with his wife. They just did a complete stakeout. Well, he put his trash out across the road for the trucks to pick up the trash. And as long as it wasn't on his property, they could go through his trash. They found the best DNA you could ever find, a Band-Aid full of his blood. Can you even imagine? That was like the best DNA ever is blood. And they caught him. They had to send it off to forensics. We had to wait another three weeks. Finally, it came back as a positive ID. And that's when they went in October. October 24th, I think, is when they went to his house. The state trippers from Pennsylvania had to do the arrest. It couldn't be the detectives because of the law. They got him. I'm just waiting. I don't want other people to give up. This has been 51 years. I was four years old when my mom was murdered. And I can remember my grandmother running across the yard with that telegram saying my mom was murdered. Why was my dad crying or why was my grandma boot crying? We just didn't know. And you don't hang around the adults when you're little. This, I'm 55 years old. That's just how we were raised. But later on, when my sister and I were 11 and 12, we started digging in this room that my grandmother had, and it was always locked up. We finally got in there while they were gone, and we got our punishment when they got back. We found my mom's wedding dress. We found her birth certificate, her death certificate, her pictures. We found her wedding book, everything. And we knew that was our mom's stuff. It's a long road. It's a lot of depression I went through. Just with the help of loved ones and my beautiful daughter, my grandbabies. That's what's really getting me through all this. I love my grandbabies so much. I have three. I have two granddaughters and a grandson. And they're all little bitties. Six-year-old, four-year-old, and a year-old. That's what's getting me through life, that and God. I pray a lot and I have a lot of faith. That's what's getting me through is prayer and faith. People that don't know anything about DNA genealogy, I would definitely get online and look it up. I would read as much as I can about genealogy and the DNA because it doesn't matter what or where it happened. They're going to find some kind of DNA at the scene of a loved one being murdered or wherever. They can go back like this one's 51 years. They can go back far to get DNA. It's amazing what science does. For it to help and benefit people like me, I think it's wonderful. It's a godsend. 
that's what science is all about. I'm really appreciative of that. Absolutely. Donna, your story is sad and it's lovely and it is just a real life. And I know that you're not the only person who's experiencing that extended loss and that longingness to have answers, control to an extent over your life and your mom's story. I really appreciate you talking to us and, and opening up and telling us about your experience. I think it's going to help people. Yes, ma'am. Thank you so much. I was glad to do it. I try not to drive myself mad trying to see everything about this man. I'm trying to let that part go. It's like I'm obsessed with it now. People can't blame me for being that way with this. This has been a long time. I'll tell you the worst part I'm going through right now is that I cannot see this man. That's my worst pain is not being in California and not seeing him. I want to see him. The DA said for the trial, they're going to fly me out there and let me stay as long as I want. I want to see him and I want him to know who I am. I want him to know. He's got to have something in that heart of his. It can't be that deadly. I mean, or that cold. It's got to be some little bit of remorse. I don't think I'll see it, but I'm not losing hope. My biggest thing is I have to see this man in person. And then I'll be a lot better. I'm really grateful that you are interested in my story. It's a good story. It has a lot of depression in it, but it also has a lot of happiness. I don't mind sharing it. I appreciate it. I want to second Michelle and thank you again for sharing your story with us. For anyone that's lost anyone or has lost their mother, there's just so many layers of the grieving process. When you mentioned just going through some of her old things like letters and her wedding dress, I just can't even imagine. I still have my mom's stuff and I have like a box and I have trouble even going through that. So I think people can really relate to what you're going through. And I don't want the people that can relate to what I'm going through. I don't want them to give up. I want them to pursue their police department, beg them to open their relative or loved one's case. I would love for other people to please try and have a little faith and hope because forensics has come a long way. The John Sispos and Joseph D'Angelo's of the world must be just sitting there, just biting their thumbs, just waiting. It's only a matter of time with this DNA. I know. And you know what? You look at these men and these men look like everyday men that we see across the street, cross our paths. And these are murderers, serial killers. I mean, us from the South, I know you all can relate because down here, it's nothing but hospitality. We love people and we trust everybody. It's really sad the way things have gone. I can't trust anyone anymore. Even though I'm bubbly and happy and I want to say hi, you're wearing your mask and you don't know someone's smiling at you or not anymore. This world has gone mad. We need more prayer. We need more God in this world. Anyway, I really appreciate it again. And I thank y'all so much. Thank you, Donna. Please keep in touch. Yes, I will. I have your emails and I will definitely keep in touch with y'all. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Y'all have a great day, okay? You too.